Warning, if you try this at home, you deserve what's coming to you. This is the Blackwater Ethercast. It was absurd, really. Outlandish, even by my standards. But even if the idea was daft, it was inventive. I had told Roy and his gang that I would help them get their newly acquired gold away from the bank, and we had done that with the effectiveness for which I am rightly known in some circles, certainly including you, dear colleagues. And yet afterward, Roy had asked me in his gruff way to aid their transportation of the several dozen ingots out of the city itself, and I had agreed. Their plan was audacious and, as I have said, absurd. For all that, it was more likely to work than the ill-informed assault on the bank vault, and I have, as you well know, a certain fondness for extravagant and unusual plots. Thus, for the relatively modest fee of an additional gold brick, and for reasons of leaving town without much delay, I agreed. I had a sense that Marshal Paxton would be close behind us at this point. If only I had known how narrowly he had missed us already. That, at least, is clear now. The first thing we needed to do, as I mentioned in my last transmission, was to remove the gold from the steam car so that it and my people could leave the city without suspicion. That was easily accomplished after nightfall, the evening of the bank adventure. The bandits' plan, which they had in mind before beginning their tunnel under the bank, was to purchase cattle and have a veterinarian implant the gold bricks into their bellies, three per head. They would then transport the cattle by train to a market city and retrieve the gold once there. The cattle, not much worse for wear, would be sold to meat markets as normal, any evidence soon devoured by beef-loving customers or purchased for breeding elsewhere. The bandits and I would go our separate ways, the steam car having met us at the market city. The first order of business, of course, was to find a willing veterinarian to surgically implant gold into cattle. My knowledge of biology does not extend to veterinary medicine. I would instead observe the procedures and ensure that the doctor had no ideas about discussing the odd request with others. The task proved much less of a challenge than I imagined. The first veterinarian approached claimed that such an operation would be triflingly simple, and that the cattle themselves would afterward have little knowledge that each carried about 80 pounds of gold in their enormous bodies. His business-like, matter-of-fact attitude made me wonder exactly what other sorts of unusual requests he had entertained over the years in his practice. I watched the animal surgeon, with his able assistant, scrupulously clean each brick and coat it in an odd, sticky, nearly clear substance. He explained that the result would render the gold completely inert to the animal's body, neither introducing disease nor alerting its immune system to repel it. The actual insertion was accomplished by means of an unobtrusively placed incision on the belly, perhaps six inches in length. After each trio of bricks had been put into its receiving cow, he reached through the incision to be sure the bricks were stable and well located. Then he stitched the incision as neatly as ever a surgeon closed an arm wound. When he had completed his task, he was paid as normal for his efforts, and in the usual carrot-and-stick combination was given both a bonus and a warning regarding his silence. Normally it would be a threat, detailing dangers from both the bandits and the authorities. 
But this doctor, whom I would have brought on as a regular henchman had he lived closer, hardly needed more than a reminder that helping people smuggle enormous amounts of gold was not a thing to be bragged about. Having observed his clothing and demeanor for future reference, I simulated his uniform by purchasing certain defining items directly from the man's practice. Together with a lab coat in the seam car, I would make a very plausible veterinarian. The final task in Corsicana was loading the cattle in such a way that they would be easily retrieved afterward, and also to allow for early removal from the rest of the train should the need arise. The robbers, posing as drovers, which I suspect is their normal occupation, brought the cattle to a side pen in the livestock yards by the railway. I explained, using terminology slightly over the head of the administrator in charge, that the cattle were undergoing treatment for some ailment or another, and while proximity to others should pose no hazard, an abundance of medical caution urges that they should be kept on their own. In fact, if they occupied the final three cars of the train, they would even be downwind for further safety. I made sure that the man felt an important insider and boon to science and public health alike for agreeing to the arrangement, and he took to his new significance with gusto, officiously ordering people around to fulfill the requests. Zeke had been tasked to accompany the train as well, posing as assistant and cattle handler, an extra pair of hands if necessary along the way. I strongly suspected that his actual purpose was not merely to represent Roy's gang in this endeavor, but to keep an eye on me on behalf of Roy, who absolutely does not trust me. It may be difficult to undermine his authority over the gang by way of his simple-minded and genuinely artless brother, but headway should be much easier with a more self-centered man who has been intentionally set against me. The arrangements for the train as a whole were, as I understand it, somewhat unusual, the trip being of moderate distance with neither end at either a ranch or a normal passenger station. As a result, it carried both its usual cargo, livestock, and a few paying passengers. Immediately behind the engine were two passenger cars and a dining car. They were followed by the drover's caboose, although on this relatively brief trip, Zeke was the sole occupant. Behind that were a pair of open-topped livestock cars, about a dozen covered stock cars, and just before the actual caboose, the trio of open-stock cars which carried our golden cattle, and the horses belonging to Zeke and myself, since having them at hand seemed wiser than sending them with the other riders. The steam car, with my entourage, had successfully left the city several hours before. It was a warm, clear day in the early November of a strange land. The plan to escape our pursuers with hundreds of pounds of gold was rolling along as smoothly as could be. The train was pulling out of the station with all remaining evidence. Everything was going perfectly. Yes, yes, I know. As superstitious as it sounds, one should never even think such things, let alone say them aloud. At the moment I had thought it, the crowd parted just enough to make me wish I hadn't. Even in an area full of broad-shouldered men wearing enormous moustaches, the shoulders and moustache of Marshal Paxton stood out. How was it that he had appeared here at the station as we were leaving in disguise? It made no sense, and it was definitely inconvenient. As I stood at the passenger car window, astounded at what I saw, Paxton looked directly at me. He raised his eyebrows, but seemed far less surprised than I was. 
Though he began to bowl through the crowd to reach the train, he was far too distant and the train too much in motion for him to have any hope of catching it. However, he would have no trouble reaching the other end of the journey before us, and we would need to act fast when we got there. We'd have to prepare as best we could along the way, and without the benefit of being able to alert the other members of our company. Our journey, short though it was compared to most travelers in this vast region, would nonetheless take us through the rapidly approaching night and through most of the next day. Our plans included a quick removal of the cattle from the train at the far end, but having someone waiting for us was a hurdle I was uncertain how best to vault. As it turned out, it wasn't something I needed to worry over. Unfortunately.
Taking my breakfast in the dining car, a plume of dust in the distance caught my attention from the corner of my eye. Was it a dust devil, one of those tiny whirlwinds that famously spring up in this dry land? No, it was the dusty wake of a galloping horse. It drew ever nearer the railway, and before long my suspicion was confirmed. Paxton had not gone ahead to our destination after all, but had somehow caught up with us on horseback, and was assuredly going to board the train while in motion. It is the thing heroes most love to do with trains, and, given the chance, they will not be denied the opportunity. In retrospect, I should have foreseen his move as obvious. The track would soon pass through a series of small gullies and dried riverbeds as it began a climb up a long, slow hill. Nothing dramatic, but enough to make riding a horse alongside far more difficult. At least I would be spared his quickly reaching the engine to stop the train entirely. If he stopped the train, he would be able to recruit most of the crew and a passenger or two to his cause, and I was doubtful that Zeke and I could prevail against them all, or even escape while leaving behind the cattle for the time being. Thanks to my caution regarding this very chancy railway adventure, I had very little indeed to pack before making my exit. There were no servants, no equipment, only one book, and scarcely any personal effects. All that I had brought easily and quickly fit into a satchel that I slung across my back. Next, I hurried back through the nearly deserted dining car toward the drover's caboose to warn Zeke and rouse him to action. As I reached for the rear door, however, its handle turned, and it swung open to reveal a rather dusty Marshal Paxton. The other two passengers in the car decided that this looked like trouble and hastily exited toward the coach cars, leaving us alone with a nervous-looking waiter. Well now, going so soon, Baron? Perhaps we should sit a while and talk. The strain won't be stopping for a few hours yet, and I can tell you from recent experience there's nowhere to hide for anyone who simply decides to disembark early. I paused for a moment, then bowed slightly. You are quite correct, Marshal, and it would seem that you have indeed caught me. You are, as I suspected from the start, one who always gets his man. I fail to see what you think you'll gain by a flattery. Is it flattery if it is plainly true? You have caught up with me, and here we are. Since, as you point out, there is no way to safely leave the train and nowhere to go if one does, why not be civil? Come, let us, uh, set a while. Waiter, a pair of whiskies, and a light meal. Soup, perhaps? I do not drink while on duty. You would prefer beer? Ah, no. Well, then, whiskey it is. You may be technically on duty, Marshal, but that is nothing to do for the next few hours but remain in this car and celebrate your victory. Tell me, how did you catch up with me? He leaned back in his seat, steepling his fingers as I saw him do the last time he explained something to me. The fact of the matter is, police work is fairly born for the most part. He glared obliquely at the waiter as a pair of whiskies were set before us, but continued. The short version is that I got a lead that you had gone to Texas oil drilling towns. I followed, and while talking with the local police chief about any suspicious foreigners lurking about, word came in that something very strange was happening at a bank. Strange enough that my well-trained intuition said you were involved, though I did not know how. Most of the station was busy with the aftermath of a brawl out in the oil fields. Nothing unusual for a bunch of rough men all in one place, but a bigger fight than usual. So by the time we collected enough to get over to the bank, where a hostage situation had been going on, 
the robbers had just escaped, taking a prisoner and leaving behind the strangest set of evidence that I have ever seen. None of it made any sense, which again pointed to you. You know, the rye I had in New Orleans was much better. I'm flattered, really, but surely you know that I was the hostage. The robbers said that they had come to steal gold, but they left without any gold in hand, taking me instead. Yes, I know. I also know that the gold has vanished anyway, from a damaged but still locked safe. I know a clever man when I'm looking at him, Baron, and I'm looking at him. Really, Marshal, I am here without the gang of robbers, or any of my own people, or even my luggage, and, I can assure you, without so much as an ounce of gold on my person. Does that sound like an accomplice, or one who has escaped from the gang? Sounds like you've escaped the gang. But sounds like and is are rarely on speaking terms. In any case, I haven't been tracking you because of any bank doings, but for previous mischief. You have followed me for hundreds of miles because of a pistol? Paxton smiled unpleasantly. Theft of a lawman's weapon, yes, and I'm pretty sure there are some other charges we can add to it for good measure. Were you planning to return to New Orleans eventually? Well, yes. Honestly, this seems all rather excessive, and this is me saying so. Hmm, let's just say that I'd prefer you to return sooner rather than later, and in chains rather than for a luxury ocean cruise. The truth is, as annoying as you are, I can hardly fault your professionalism. I do wish you'd have some whiskey, though. Have you tried the soup, at least? It's quite good. Nice and hot. Without further warning, I flung the heavy bowl of soup, spoon at all, at Paxton's face. He roared, predictably enough, but before the bowl had fallen back to the table, or his lap, I have no idea, I was sprinting to the forward door, past the waiter, who tried to hide behind a tin serving platter. As I slammed it shut behind me, I caught a glimpse of Paxton rising to his feet, wiping his eyes and literally steaming, though that was probably the soup. My satchel held a pair of instant weld devices, small packets of thermite with a magnesium ribbon embedded on the surface. They were not designed for the use to which I was about to put them, but I was very glad to have thought of giving them lines of adhesive along the base. I pulled off the waxed paper, slapped the device on the seam between the metal-framed door and door jamb, and with great haste summoned sparks from my fire starter. The magnesium caught quickly, and an endless moment later the thermite followed, sending a shower of superheated sparks into the space between the train cars. Knowing what was coming, I was already most of the way up the ladder to the top of the car when it went off. Though I could hear Paxton yelling through the door over the sounds of wind and railway, I hurried as quietly as possible along the spine of the car to its rear, and descended the ladder there. Several seconds later, the magnesium on the second instant weld device flared to life, and I boarded the drover's caboose. Paxton pounded on the other side of the door I had just sealed. I called to him, "'Remain in the dining car!' Celebrate your victory! Zeke was, as usual, the only one in his car, and as I entered, he sat up, rubbing his eyes. What's happening? Paxton is here. He's in the dining car right now, though I don't think he will be for long. I doubt his shoulders were fit through the windows, but the welds I applied to the doors were very hasty, the metal not even cleaned. He will break through them in a few minutes. I need you to delay him for a while when he does. Why? Where are you going? I need to be sure our cattle's cars are clear of interference. When I signal, you must uncouple them from the rest of the train. And we're just going to stop here in the middle of the wilderness. Yes. We're going up a hill right now. Between us and the downhill side is a tunnel. 
No one will know we're gone until they're far down the other side. Even if they notice, once they begin going downhill, it's very hard to stop something this heavy. But I can't apply the brakes until we're uncoupled, and you can't uncouple it if Paxton is on our trail. Can you take care of it? He punched his palm and said, This'll be fun. I nodded and left out the back door, considering how best to cross the open cattle cars. There was not a lot of room between the cattle, and though I've been assured of the creature's docile natures, the horns gave me serious pause. I took the other option, which was to climb along the outside of the car, after making sure we weren't about to pass anything too closely. As I began to edge along the second car, one of the passengers called from the top of the drover's caboose. Hey, what did you do to the dining car? Get back here, you! I looked back to see him hurrying down the rear ladder of the car, intent on following me along the sides of the open cattle cars. Zeke came trotting along the rooftop at that moment, but I yelled to him that I had this in hand, and that he should worry about Paxton. He nodded and vanished again, and I sped up as much as I dared. The nimble passenger was catching up at an alarming rate. I reached the covered cars scarcely before he did, and bolted up the ladder. As I reached the top, he grabbed my pant leg and I fell heavily to the roof. Freeing myself and scrambling to my feet, I said, The dining car will be ready to serve your lunch in only a few minutes, I assure you. But if you have any sense at all, you will leave me alone to go check on my cattle. The passenger advanced on me as I slowly backed toward the rear of the car. Nothing doing. If you're a vet, I'm the Prince of Persia. I'll have the conductor halt this train and we'll see what we see after that. He turned to race back to the ladder. Ah, that's not quite what I meant, I explained, as I knocked him senseless with my satchel. Mark my words, dear colleagues, one should never be without a good book. I returned to my rearward journey with all speed. At the end of the covered cars, I descended the final ladder, seeing as I did that Zeke and Paxton were squaring off on a roof far ahead of me, like wrestlers at the beginning of a contest. I hoped Zeke would be along shortly, and that they didn't make enough noise to alert the flagman in the caboose. After climbing along the outside of our cattle's cars, I finally arrived at the caboose. The flagman looked up from where he sat reading a newspaper and said, Oh, hello, doctor. Come to check on your livestock, have you? Yes, they all seem sufficiently healthy. Exhilarating warm breeze out there this morning. It is, it is. Summer seems to be stretching into autumn for us this year. I strolled to the back door and asked, I have always wondered, is the view a pleasant one from the far back end of the train? Surely that warm breeze would make one want nothing more than to enjoy it on the little patio and back. Patio? Oh, the landing. Never thought of it like that, but it could do. Ah, yes, it is definitely nice out here. Good view of that little town, too. The one just over that gully, perhaps a mile away. What is its name? You know, I really don't know. I passed it no idea how many times and still don't know the name. Keep thinking I should visit it and find out. Looks like a nice quiet town. It does indeed. I agree that you should visit it soon. Soon? Yes. Now it'd be good. With that, I slammed my hip into his, launching him right off the landing and into the scree and shrubs down the slope from the train track. I heard a plaintive, Hey! from the sagebrush as I returned inside to climb into the cupola, where I could see Zeke and Paxton still grappling on the roof some distance ahead. I waved a green flag out the front window, hoping Zeke would see it without the engine's crew noticing. He glanced back at me, then with a smooth sweeping maneuver, knocked Paxton's feet from under him, allowing him to disengage. Paxton grabbed at Zeke's foot but missed. 
Zeke paused to punch the marshal, but afterwards wasted no time putting distance between them, leaping straight into the first open cattle car. Paxton hesitated at the edge, and I saw Zeke clamber up the rear fence of the car and leap into the next one. Paxton, losing his prey and with it his patience, drew his gun and shot at Zeke. I should probably have ducked just to be safe, but all I could think was, oh look, he has a new pistol. Zeke was evidently unharmed since he very quickly reappeared at the other end of the open car and began running toward the caboose, ducking and weaving as he went. The cattle, on the other hand, were very agitated by the gunfire and set up a tiny stampede in their cars, lowing loudly and surging forward and back. It would be completely unsafe for Paxton to enter the open cars. He moved toward the edge to climb along the outside of the cars as I had, but glanced back to see the tunnel alarmingly close. He wouldn't be able to do that in time. I saw him raise his pistol again just as Zeke reached the last of the other cars. I had the sense to lower myself as much as possible by then, and only heard the pair of gunshots. He missed, and Zeke flung himself down the ladder to uncouple the cars. Paxton shook his gun in frustration, but dropped from view. He would have to lie flat, or wait on a landing between the cars until he had passed the tunnel. He would wait in vain, though. A moment later I felt the cars uncouple, and I applied the brake as strongly as I could. Once we had stopped, I ventured outside to see where we were. We had stopped mere yards from the tunnel. We had no idea of how quickly they would notice we had gone, or be able to stop once they had, or whether the flagman would try to catch up with the train instead of visit his little town. We only knew that the faster we got the cattle away, the better. With hardly a word spoken, we fell to our tasks. In perhaps ten or fifteen minutes we had outfitted and mounted our horses, unloaded the cattle, and got underway. We traveled down dried riverbeds to avoid raising dust until we were a few miles from the train cars. Only then could we go the direction of the alternate meeting point, and at a goodly but reasonable pace. As I am making this ethercast from the portable transmitter in my steam car, you will have surmised that we all successfully reached the meeting place. On the way, though, Zeke and I had some time during which we had nothing to do but keep the cattle moving, and occasionally talk. In bits and pieces I expressed to him my appreciation for his quick wits and fists in the execution of our plan and its recovery from the unexpected invader. He is, like most of the gang, a man of low cunning and somewhat cruel bent, eminently suited to a life of brutal banditry. Though perhaps too unstable for long-term employment, he made an excellent fighter and minion, able to think on his feet while following orders. I naturally didn't convey this to him in exactly those terms, but I did tell him this in a way that he could understand, and which flattered his self-regard, and which suggested, never directly, that Roy did not fully appreciate his abilities. I even insinuated that there may come a time in which Roy would turn against his gang, perhaps abandoning them in order to increase his own share. It is a particular skill to directly state that he would never do such a thing, in such a way that strongly suggests that he will. It is a skill that I have cultivated for a long time, beginning during my scholastic education, living amongst other students, and continuing throughout my career of dealing with misguided and sometimes hostile nobility and scientific institutions. It is one which I heartily recommend developing. It is, as these American robbers demonstrate, effective with people of any origin or social standing. All it requires is that they be of lesser intellect, and that they hold their emotions above their reason. And this, as you well know, is very nearly everyone not of our number.
The Blackwater Ethercast is written, produced, and performed by Nicholas Jovian. Additional voices by Anita Simon. Beginning and ending music is by Derek and Brandon Fichter. They can be found at dbfichter.bandcamp.com. Today's entertainment was by Tyler Greek. Be sure to subscribe to the Ethercast and send your friends to lordblackwater.com so they can too. Also, visit lordblackwater.com to be the featured entertainment. And thanks for listening. This town is really nice. <laughs>